the world's most dangerous man presents the world's most dangerous podcast. No gloves, no rules, only God-given talent. Now, here's your host, Hall of Famer, Ken Shamrock. Welcome to today's episode, How to Overcome Obstacles. Yes, this one is a little bit depressing, but uh, the ending uh, obviously is good. But I have to go back to when I was 13 years old. Um, I failed a bunch of group homes already. Um, fact is, my next stop was going to be California Youth Authority, which is kids' prison. Uh, this was my last chance because, like I said, I you know, pretty much failed everywhere else I was at. I was an angry kid. I was frustrated. And, uh, yeah, just not a, not a good person. So <clears throat> here was supposed to be my last opportunity. We end up at this place called the Shamrock Boys Home. Yeah. Now, you, now, now we're getting somewhere. But when I got there, not me. My name wasn't Shamrock. It was Kilpatrick. And, and I was a criminal. And I remember when we pulled up at this house, we had these uh, two of the kids with us. And I think they were both 17 time one of them wanted to kill me um when we were in the juvenile hall together some stuff had happened and so he had it out for me so here i was going to this group home with this guy <laughs> and uh, we're we're sitting in the back of this car with probation officer driving us i don't know a couple hundred miles from actually no it was like 160 180 miles from napa california um to susanville california in the mountains right so here i'm used to the city area and we start driving up here, and it's a bunch of mountains and horses, and it was just like, you know, it was different. And so we started driving up, went around a golf course, and then we pulled into this house. And when we pulled into the house, we were like, oh, wait a minute. He must be turning around or something because we, we made a wrong turn. We had to be. Because when we pulled into this house, you, when we pulled in, it was this house sitting there, and it had this brick outside and a a wooden uh, opening and a big old bunkhouse on the left side of it and a big old flagpole in the middle with an American flag on it. was a beautiful home. It was a million dollar home it's back in 78. And uh, so we're thinking, oh, we're just going to turn around and he pulls up and stops. And we're kind of looking at each other going, what? Like, Because all the other group homes we went to, man, they were just dumps. I mean, they had people coming in. They had house parents. They worked shifts, eight-hour shifts. They would leave another uh, house parent would come in. So it wasn't like these people owned the home. They were just there, you know, and they'd be gone. They were working shifts. But when we got to this house, this house was not a group home. But it was. So we get out of the car and we start walking up to the front and I'm just going, wow. We get up to this big old wooden oak door and knock on the door. The door opens and Bob Shamrock answers, hey, how you guys doing? And it was like, whoa. We walk inside, and to the left, you look up the stairs, and there's this pool table and video games up on the balcony thing up on top, where the stairs would go up on the left-hand side, and then there were rooms in the background. And then to the right, there was this big old piano. Uh, it was a white piano, and uh, then it had a big old fireplace uh, a made of brick going all the way up to an 18-foot open beam ceiling. And so as we walk in, we're like, something wrong here, man. This just ain't normal. And so then we walk into the kitchen area and down the hallway into the kitchen area. And we get into the kitchen area and there's this, there's this 18, I don't even know how big it was, but it was this table that had 18 chairs seated at it. And it was a big old wooden table and it was lacquered and it was shiny. And then it had pewter goblets and, and pewter plates and silverware and linen napkins stuffed in the pewter goblets all lined up at this table. 
and we're just I'm, I'm just like you know wow like this this is just this can't be real and so he he says oh hey Kate let me uh let me introduce you to Elizabeth which was talking to the, the probation officer which was a cook they had and he says let me introduce Elizabeth she'll get you some cookies and some coffee you have a seat over here and I'll talk with the boys and we're like well every other group home we went to right we would be sent off with some of the guys to show us around and the house parents would talk to the probation officer. The, this was flipped. Like he pulled us up to this bar, which was a soda bar. It had candy and ice cream and refrigerators. It was like a bar set up, stools and everything, but it was all candy and ice cream and different things behind the bar. <laughs> so, so it's like, you're, you're kind of numb going, oh, what's happening? <laughs> What do we do? Does I mean I'm one of the worst kids, right? And like I'm, oh, what, how did I get? How did I get rewarded here? Like what's going on? So he sits us down at these stools. He starts talking to us and starts tossing how you know you, you know these are your files. And then he picks up my file and he basically throws it to garbage. He says you got a fresh start. You got a fresh start. It's what do you want to be from this point on? Your your past is now gone. What do you want to be? Because this is your chance to turn it around. I'm giving you an opportunity to be able to turn your life around. And I will help you do it. Now, listen, everywhere else we went, we were a number. They didn't care about us. We were just part of the home. And as long as we would shut our mouths and do our chores and do what we're supposed to, you got a day. You would earn days when you got out. But they didn't care about fixing your problem. He literally directed at us that he would help us fix our problems, which obviously we didn't know what our problems were, but he did. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this has just got to be a scam. Like, it just can't be real. So I never believed in it. Even when he was talking to us, it was just not, didn't feel right. And I remember after it was over and we kind of started filtering into the home, I started noticing these kids. A lot of them, there was... Eight, uh, 22 kids in the home at the time when we got there. And 18 of them were from Napa, California. I mean, yeah, it was loaded, right? So I knew some of the guys there. And some of them I got along with, and some of them I didn't. So, you know, it was kind of like, but the difference there was like the ones I didn't get along with and the ones that I did get along with weren't separated. Like they were hanging out together. And I was like, whoa, what's up? And Quickly, they would just say, dude, we're, we're all family. We're all shamrocks. And I just, I just, I, I kind of pulled away. I'm like, dude, I am not down with that. Like, what is, like, you know how you just feel like you're in a movie and you're just like, dude, someone pinched me. Like, is this real? And it's happened for probably a week or two. Like, I couldn't, I just couldn't figure out how this worked. And I knew there was something behind all of it. And after I was into it about two weeks, I started realizing, like, wait a minute, like, this might be an opportunity. And so I started, like, thinking to myself, all right, let's give it a shot. Because when I first walked into the house and when I was there for a short period of time, all I could think about was, like, all right, this dude's a fag or he's trying to take advantage of this or that. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I ain't wearing no tie at dinner. And I, and I ain't dressed in a no suit because that's what it was like. But everybody running around were dressed like me. Like, that was cool. Like, like wow. 
So it was just always this thought. And I just kept thinking to myself, there's something wrong here. And, and it, it never was. And so, but when I first got there, I was thinking about what I was going to steal. I was a pewter goblets man. And I was thinking about all these different things that I could steal when I ran away. Because I just felt like there's no way I could stay here. I knew there was a catch to it. But as I stayed longer and longer, it, it, was, it, it started to become real. And I started to feel comfortable. That's scary for a kid coming from where I came from because I'd never been hugged. I'd never been told I love you. You know, I'm 13 years old and, and I never experienced these things. It's just, it was, a, it was a weird thing, right? And so to have this kind of love that these, these, these Bob and Dee Dee Shamrock were giving these boys and trying to give me, but I kept pushing away because I didn't, I always thought that there was, there was something on the other side of that hug or, or something that they wanted from you. Uh, but as I got there long, long, I realized it was, it was pure and innocent and real. And it just was hard for me to, to grasp onto that and understand it. And so I'm there for six months. I, I, I'm an angry kid. And my file shows it. I, I got stabbed. Um, I had strong arm robbery. I mean, these are all things from the time I was a young kid till I was 13 before I ended up this place. Uh, I had all these things that I did, um, you know, ripping off cars and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I was just not, uh, I was on the street living out of a car. So all these things that I did was just crazy. I mean, for a kid to do that at that young, but it was the only way that I knew how to survive. And, and what I did to survive, lay down and die or survive. And I stood up and survived the way I thought I could. And so here I was in this situation and, and everything started to feel comfortable. And, but I'm still angry. I've gotten into a bunch of fights, even though we're still at the home. I've been there, you know, six months or something. And I was, had been in several fights. Well, found out really early on, if you really wanted to fight, he would throw the gloves on. You go out in the backyard into what we called the pit, it was a dugout hole. And you throw the gloves on, and he'd have the other boys standing around um, eating popcorn and soda and stuff, and they would let you fight. And throw the gloves on, and you go at it. And um, so I early on established pretty quickly, even at 13, um, that, you know, I, I wasn't to be messed with. You know, there was a couple other kids there that were, um, you know, 7, 16, 17, 18 years old that thumped me a few times. But I had the heart, the desire just kept going. So I know uh, Bob Shamrock, my dad, uh, saw that in me early on. Like I was just a very determined individual, but I was also very angry. I would fight at a drop of a hat. And so he thought that he needed to figure out a way to help prevent that frustration. So he thought of football. And so I remember he said, hey, how'd you like to play football? I said, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, I knew what it was. I didn't know how to play other than street ball. And so I remember uh, my first uh, practice, and, and Bob Canner was my coach at the time, uh, freshman coach. And I remember um, we had done the, the, the two-a-days, and, you know, and, and I kind of stood out because I was frustrated and angry, and everything I did was with anger, so it fit into football. Uh, but we hadn't put pads on yet. And so we got the pads on. And I remember we lined up, and of course, immediately they said, why don't you play weak side linebacker, Wanda, which is what they called it. Uh, and you play the Wanda linebacker. And I was like, oh, whatever. You know, put me where you want. But he says, this is your responsibility. Nobody runs here. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's a guard in front of me. 
right? Because we ran a 5-2. So quarterback gets up there, and this is my first snap, right? It's my first real live snap. And a quarterback says, hut. <laughs> and so I take off and I hit the guard. I mean, literally with a form, like I would punch, just hit him, right? And I knocked him down. And everybody's still standing there. Nobody moved. And the coach blows his whistle. He goes, no, 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 no. You got to wait for the ball to be snapped. <laughs> I was like, huh? What? He said, hut. <laughs> he goes, you got to watch the football. If it doesn't move, you don't go. All right, all right, all right, all right. So we line up again and we go to do it again. And he goes, hut, hut. Like tries to get me to jump. Well, he got me to jump. And I hit the guard again. <laughs> so I remember Billy's my friend now. Uh, even to this day, he was the guard. Um, and I hit him. And I remember he jumps up and he goes, hey, would you just snap the ball? <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, you know, I reacted. Yeah, so the coach comes in. He goes, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. He says, he pulled me back and moved me to the corner and back. And he says, just stay here. You know, we'll get you figured out. He says, he started teaching me and playing cornerback. I eventually moved back to linebacker my sophomore year, even my freshman year, after I got used to the snap and stuff. But uh, when I started my first um, scrimmage game, it was at last and I were playing on our field. And I remember I was playing cornerback and, you know, I learned my responsibilities. The ball was snapped. It was a scrimmage game, um, but we were still hitting live. We still had a referee. And so the ball snapped. And, uh, of course, I looked at my receiver. He comes in, does a 10-yard, and he goes in. So the linebacker picks him up on the corner, right? So I look for the back coming out in the flat, or I see a tight end coming out in the flat. No, they're not. Um, so I look to the center for to help with a receiver coming doing a cross. So I look across. Sure enough, a receiver's coming across the middle. I was like, oh. So I start beelining towards this receiver as he's running, right? And this is how much anger I had in me. It was I just, all I could see was red. I wanted to hit this guy so hard that I wanted to blow snot bubbles. I mean, I just, just locked in on him. And luckily for me, the timing was right because as soon as he caught the ball, I hit him. And the ball pops out. And I remember driving this kid to the ground. My knees, my legs were still driving. As Even after we were on the ground, I was trying to just finish him off. And, and, I, and I remember the whistle blew. And this thing I learned in practice, whistle stop. So whistle blew and I stopped. And I felt guilty. I felt like I did something wrong because I just tried to hurt this guy. I tried to hurt him like I would if he was on the street. And usually when you do that, you start running because you know somebody's going to call the cops. And that's the feeling I had was like, uh-oh. So I stood up and immediately I was looking for the fence. Like, and I had football gear on, so I'm like, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where am I at? Where am I at? I'm on a football field. All of a sudden, my teammates come up, start patting me on the back, saying, great job, good hit, oh. And I was like, okay. And then the coaches on the sideline were going, nice hit. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow. That's that, okay. Then I looked at the enemy, which at the time was, was the parents, right? And they were screaming. They were worse than that. They were saying, kill him. Hit him again. I was like, wow. There's something wrong here. Like, this is bad, right? I mean, I, it's the same intentions I had to hit somebody if I was on the street that I had with football. I even had plastic helmet and pads on. I had weapons, and I was going to hit this guy and hurt him. I was going to hit him so hard, I wanted to see the snot bubbles coming out of his nose. And everybody was cheering. 
and before I was getting arrested for it. Unbelievable. And I remember I was confused. I was very confused. And I remember thinking to myself, how is this right? And so I thought, okay. I remember going to Bob and saying, hey, how is this okay? I was like, I just tried to, I mean, I literally put everything into it to hurt this kid. And everybody's saying that's okay. How is that intention? And he says, this is where my life starts to change. He starts saying, if you play within the rules, you can do whatever it is you want to do. But you've got to know the rules. you got to know where you're playing and what you're playing. That's life. And so everything that I did on that point, even though I was 13 years old, I referenced it, I referenced it to sports of staying within the rules. Now, this thing is about overcoming obstacles. So I want to get to that because I stayed within the rules. I went at them a little bit with fighting and different things like that, but not enough to, to, to put me where I was at before with, with stealing and breaking and entering and all the other stuff and strong and rubbing. You know, I didn't do that, but I got into fights. I was aggressive still, and I got into some situations that I shouldn't have, but, but I was staying in the rules, within the rules. But here's the thing. When you do that, you have to also understand that things can happen. All these things can happen. All kinds of things can happen. And here's what happened. My freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year, my senior year, I was a star in wrestling, in football. I had scholarships. Everything was going well. I had a mom and I had a dad. I had a home. I had people that cared about me. I did everything right. And it was going to be taken away because of one instant. One. I was in wrestling practice. I was undefeated my senior year. We were going to state. They were pushing the match together. Had to bring extra guys in to come training because we didn't have anybody else that made state. So I pushed the match together. I taped together. We clean them. And I have guys coming in there. And I'm playing around. I'm working. And you know, I've got a guy that's about going about 205 pounds. Um, I weigh about 170 pounds. And so I'm shooting, playing around. And I remember my coach goes, you better take him down. You can be doing walls with conditioning drill. And so I go to take him down. And when I step, the match slipped that we had put down because we didn't tape them because we didn't have the freshmen there to do the tapings to clean the match. We just pushed them together. And next thing you know, I'm sitting on my butt and he, as I have him up, I'm shot a fireman's on him and I sit down and he literally falls on my head. And I remember hearing my neck go pop. And I remember laying on the ground and I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I didn't feel anything right away, right? Nothing actually. And I'm laying there and the coach is saying, get up. And I'm like, I'm getting up. And in my mind, I'm getting up, right? Like, okay, I'm getting up. But I ain't moving. I'm like, he's going to get up. Stop laying there. Stop screwing around. I'm like, I'm getting up. But I ain't moving. And then all of a sudden, I feel this sharp, drastic pain going down my arms. And I couldn't move. But it was so painful. I mean, I was still feeling the pain. I couldn't move. I was literally laying there and I couldn't move. I remember 30 minutes, Amethyst came in, put me in the Star Wars board, clamped the bottom together, slapped it on top of me, picked me up, 
took me in the ambulance, drove me two and a half hours to Redding, California, where they did an x-ray. And the x-ray came back and said, broken neck. I was like, what? Broken neck. It's like, okay. All right. How long? How long till I recover? Now, it's my, you know, I, I'm not sinking in. And I remember my dad was with me. Bob Shannon was a counselor at the time. Was my dad yet? I remember him just looking at me, going, "Ken, it's a broken neck." And I was like, "Yes, I heard him. How long do I? How? What do I got to do?" It's like I had scholarships. I mean, I had chances to go to college on an athletic scholarship, whether it was wrestling or football. I didn't know yet, but I had chances. And I'm like, I did everything right. I mean, I changed my life. And now they're telling me that I have a broken neck. Okay, how long is it going to take? And the doctor says to me, you're not hearing me. You broke your neck. Says you can't play contact sports again. I was like, no, 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 you, no, that, that's, you can't do that. That's, I don't have anything else. Like, I don't know anything else. I said, that's the only way I'm getting to where I'm going. And here I'm in this, this, this bed where you clamp down, they flip you over, you look in the mirror, you watch TV, you know, you go to the bathroom, they flip you over, all that stuff. Like, I'm in this thing saying, it's like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? It's like, we're going to have to fuse your neck. Like you're gonna take a bone out of your hip. That's before they came in with the metal, which I got done later after I broke it—not broke it, but fractured it again in 2001. Um, but so they took a bone chip out of my hip, and they were gonna cut me through the front of my neck, and they were gonna fuse three, four, and five with bones, and said that my contact of playing football or any kind of contact sports is over. I was like, I literally went into a depression because I thought to myself, this was my only opportunity. Like, what am I going to do now? I don't know anything else. I don't know what else to do. Everything I did from straightening out, getting my life together, all came through sports. I don't know what else to do. And I remember my dad said to me, and I'll never forget this because it was, I mean, when someone says something, sometimes it, you can say it a hundred times. It just it doesn't mean anything. But this impacted me huge because of the situation I was in and, and, and the thoughts that I was having. I mean, it was, I don't think anybody could ever said anything to me to, to make me feel better. But what he said was, you can lay there and pout about it, or you can get up and do something about it. I took that like, he's right. Now, I know my dad and, and how it was said, probably the way I thought about it wasn't the way it was meant. Especially at that time when we just found out I broke my neck, we didn't know the extent of 
how it was going to heal or anything like that. But in my mind, I was like, you're right. How can this doctor come in and tell me what I can and cannot do? It's up to me to do something about this, to be able to change the direction that I'm going. I can lay here and pout about it. And I go nowhere. Or I can change it by actions and doing what I need to do to get to where I want to go. Because no one's going to do it for me. I remember getting out of the hospital. I had a halo on. The thing that went on my chest, it bolts in my head, they tightened down with the torque wrench, went into my skull, four different places. I can't have a bald head because it looks like somebody shot me, two different places. I remember thinking to myself, that's, that's exactly right. I, 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 the only way that this changes is if I change it, because it ain't going to change any other way. And I remember I got out, and I remember I, and I tore the bolts out of my head twice. One from a fight that I had with one of the other kids. I tore the bolts out of my head, and I go back in. But the other time was because I was lifting weights. I literally started lifting weights with the chest plate on halos in my head. I was trying to stay strong. But I eventually got it off. I don't know, it was six, eight months later, I got the halo off, and I had to learn how to walk all over again because your head is not balanced. And two and a half years later, I'm playing college football. Yes, I had to go get a release. I had to make sure the school wasn't responsible. But I was an All-American playing linebacker and defensive end. Had the most tackles on the team. And it wasn't the only obstacle. I had a lot of obstacles throughout my career, my life, even when I was younger before that. But this was a big one where it was taking away everything after I did everything, almost everything right. I, I was in a good place and, and I had all this stuff together and it was taken away because I got injured and I could have laid down. It, it would have been very easy just to lay down. But you know what? This is the honest to God truth. That you can achieve whatever it is you want to do if you are willing to put the work in and go past what anybody else is willing to do. To be able to push yourself harder than anybody else can push you. Being able to put yourself in positions to be successful, do the work, and get it done. Nobody in this world, nobody will fail if they have the desire to succeed. But see, that's the question, right? So what are you willing to do to get, to get to where it is you want to go? Because that is the question. You can't blame anybody. You cannot blame anybody for your non-success. You cannot blame people for that. Because you have an option to be able to go out and get it done, no matter what gets in your way. And I'm telling you a story where I broke my neck and it was all over. I went out and trained. I got bigger. I got stronger. I, I, was, I found out things I needed to do to strengthen my neck. I mean, this is football. Of course, then you know my career. I went on to have a great career. And I did. I, I had to go back and get it up. I fractured again in, in 2001. I had to go back and actually get metal brackets in. Now I have my lower back also. Um, but it's a mental thing, right? It's mental. You cannot let someone make you fail because you have all the tools and the ability to be successful if you want to. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this. And um, 
yeah, this is one of those things where uh, I, li- I like to talk about this because it was something that was was in one of those moments where I was young. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of support. Um, you know, the, my who's my dad now uh, said some things to me that stuck with me, and even though it wasn't quite what he meant, but but I took it to heart and I went out and I made sure I did it. I got it done, and um, and I have the career I have now because I refuse to let somebody tell me what I can and cannot do. And I stayed within the rules and I played the game. Um, but I worked harder than anyone else. I put myself in a position to be better than anyone else because I decided to. Nothing was going to get in my way. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, I hope some of you can look uh, look at this and I hope that motivates you to, to get out of wherever you're at. So. Um, Anyways, uh, listen, if you have any questions, man, um, uh, please go to kenshamrock.com uh, forward slash. Uh, I'd love to answer your questions. And uh, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter at kenshamrock.com. Um, and if you haven't, you know, please like and subscribe to this video uh, and share it for us. Appreciate that. Um, anyways, uh, that's all for this episode. Um, take care and God bless. I just want to thank you for watching today's episode. If you didn't already, like, subscribe, and share this video. I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter at kinshamrock.com. And if you love combat sports, visit ValorBK.com. Thank you again, and until next time, this is Ken Shamrock signing out.